Alzheimer's is like this kind of swiftly flowing stream and often the caregiver is just standing on the bank and all this stuff is going past and you you're just like hey come back come back and so what we kind of discovered while we were caring for my dad and my grandmother his mom had Alzheimer's at the same time we kind of realized you know what we're just going to jump off the bank into the river and and go where they're going because it it led us in these kind of mysterious and wonderful places. From Life Atelier Studios, it's real. Stories of adversity, resilience, creativity, and transformation. I'm Diane McDaniel, and on today's show, I'm speaking with writer Tanya Ward Goodman, author of Leaving Tinkertown. Our conversation examines how she uses her writing practice, which she likens to the process of composting, to learn her mind and understand experience. We discuss how the experience of taking care of her father during his decline from early onset Alzheimer's disease, which she chronicles in Leaving Tinkertown, allowed her to better understand and develop her own identity, as well as question some of our deepest held beliefs. Tanya also talks about what the experience of caring for her father during his illness and death taught her about what it means to live well. Thanks, Tanya, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Could you introduce yourself and just tell us something that you like people to know about you? My name is Tanya Ward-Goodman. I grew up in the mountains of New Mexico, and I'm a writer and a parent. I have two small children, not small really anymore, but I think of them as small. They're 13 and 15. I paint things that land on my kitchen island to calm myself down, but I don't really think of myself as a visual artist, and I I write kind of to calm myself down, too. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) All right, well, we'll get into that today. You uh, have worked as a writer in several different forms, and so you've probably had an opportunity to think about your creative process a little bit. Could you tell us about that? How do you work? I have. I wrote a memoir called Leaving Tinkertown, and then more recently I've been writing essays, and I write for the Orange County Register, the OC Family magazine. I've written for some other magazines and online essays. And and it's kind of the way that I write, I've realized, is the way that you um, compost. Do you know you put all this great stuff in a pile and kind of turn it over and you're not really sure how it works or whether it fits together. And the more you turn it, the more you it kind of mushes together. And at the end, you have something that my gardening mom would call black gold mm-hmm. but is i don't know if i want to call my essays black gold but <laughs> i um i think that there is something i'm a kind of a collector and a little bit of a hoarder so i don't often know where i'm going at the beginning even if i'm writing something that is very straightforward like an essay about parenting or an article about you know how to Um, manage your baby's first year. I don't really know what it's about until I kind of am halfway through it. Mm, And then I start to discover what it is. And I used to think that was just me being really random, but I 
I think that's my process and I have to kind of let it go. I love that metaphor <laughs> of the compost. Right. Because it's a bit of a magical process, right? The it composting. Is. Like, how does it turn from whatever it is, paper oh and God, stuff? Oh, my God, yeah. And it keeps getting smaller and more concentrated and more sort of nutritious in a variety of ways. And that's what I think I want my writing to be. I, I like to pull things out. Like, more and more I write long and then carve it back. And I, I just... It just feels good to have a big pile of stuff to kind of roll around in. Hmm. <laughs> it's a good metaphor for the fall. It is. <laughs> With our piles it? of leaves everywhere. Your beautiful leaves. Yeah. <laughs> so much of your work uh, touches on autobiography and memoir, and you write often about family, uh, whether that's memoir or not. Talk about what induces you to write in these genres and tackle these topics. Well, I write to figure stuff out. I mean, it's really what moves me to write. And I think family is the deepest well to try to figure stuff out, right? There are so many mysteries in in our family and in our relationships with each other in the human condition. And I think I, when I talk about family, I think about not just the family you're born into, but the family you choose and, and what that means and and why those some people vibrate really positively to you and and other people you're kind of like oh this is a tricky soul and and I just always wonder why so mm-hmm. when I'm writing I just kind of keep asking myself well I wonder why that is why do I feel like that about this person or what made that situation exciting or scary or upsetting or beautiful and I just keep asking myself, well, why is that? I wonder why that is. And so for me, I think I, my writing life has been totally parallel to my, my caretaking life. I cared for my dad who had Alzheimer's and my grandmother and, and then immediately segued into being a parent. Mm. And so for the past you know, 25 years, I've been really looking after people. And mm. I think I'm, I'm kind of a looker after her anyway. <laughs> and that is just, I think, I'm always wondering, well, what's happening? And what does it look like when I look after people? And what does it look like when I let myself be looked after? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talked about your book, Leaving Tinkertown, and it chronicles your father's progressing Alzheimer's disease, the development of your relationship with a man who had become your husband, and the beginnings of your new family. Before we explore your book, I'd like you to tell us a bit about your father. My dad, Ross Ward, was born in Aberdeen, South Dakota in 1940, and he was an only child. His parents worked in little jobs, his mom worked at the Woolworths counter, and his dad was a dry cleaning, you know, assistant. And they never owned a car. My grandfather believed it was a fad and that it would pass. Wow! And they always <laughs> lived. I know, right? That's an interesting one. <laughs> I just love that. Like, they, oh yeah, that's not gonna last. And We're so, even as even the that. as the decades piled on, he never, just stuck to that idea. Never. He never drove, and they lived, you know, in the same four block sort of radius in Aberdeen for their whole lives. My dad was like almost immediately, I think he was from like another planet and they didn't really know what to make of him. We have drawings that he did when he was three or four of the circus and the old west. And he was just 
focused on drawing and becoming a creative spirit and figuring out how to get out of Aberdeen and into the rest of the world. Mm. So he used to tell us about the circus coming to town when Ringling Brothers was in the train show and they like that train arriving there was like this blast of information for him about the world and he just had this incredibly curious mind and he spent all his high school and and middle school years in the public library making friends with the librarians at the Alexander Mitchell Library and he never went to school but he knew so much Mm. and so when he was 17 he ran away with the circus and um (laughs) just like get me out of here you've been coming for me since i was a child now i'm ready to go many children threatened but your father actually did he actually did and um he traveled around with the circus and then he wound up getting drafted and going into the army but he continued to kind of draw and paint and as soon as he got out of the army he went on the road with Carnival and he married my mom and they went on the road and they had a freak show called World of the Weird that was mostly photographs and some hired kid at every spot would jump out of the dark and scare people as they ran out the door. (laughs) That's the secret, the carny secret. If you want people to come in, you have someone like jump out so that everyone leaves screaming and then the people outside go, what's in there? We gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so he did that and he was a carnival show painter and he always wanted his own roadside attraction. And so he eventually wound up building Tinkertown Museum in the mountains of New Mexico. And he was a fine artist. Um, He painted amazing paintings and etchings and drawings and wood carvings. I don't know that I ever saw him still. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. He's a a real interesting character. He is. He was good material for your, your writing. Deep reservoir of good material and hard to live up to that kind of creative drive, you know, that you just think, well, God, I'm not doing anything. Well, he was doing something always. And I think there was a certain, I don't know. I mean, after after he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, and, and certainly after his death, I thought, wow, well, he maybe had some inkling, do you know? He just had to get it all in. Hmm. Yeah. He had to live fast. Fast, very fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did you want to tell the story of leaving Tinkertown? I think originally I started writing little pieces so that I could kind of see what happened. So you started writing after I started he writing died. actually during the process of of looking after him. I I moved home from Los Angeles after he was diagnosed. He was 58. And I was just not quite, I think I was 29 and almost 30. Um, and I I just thought, well, God, I, I need to hang out with him and I need to be there for this. And I don't know, you know, the doctors early onset Alzheimer's goes really quickly. So they said it would be about five years. And I just wanted to spend as much time with him as I could. But Caring for someone who has Alzheimer's is really hard, and there's a lot of family dynamics and a lot of complicated stuff, and everyone gets really good, and we're all crying, and you know, time is moving really rapidly. And so, a lot of the time that I was there, where I thought, oh, it's going to be so beautiful, like a Hallmark movie, and we'll all be like 
eating delicious food and talking about the past and joining together in family. It was like, no, it was crazy running around, kind of putting out fires, some Mm. of them actually literally fires. And so I started just keeping like notes to myself and I always write just to keep sort of company and it was really helpful at the end of a day to go, geez, what just happened in this day? And mm. I would just write it down so I wouldn't forget. Because I think when you're in the middle of some big caretaking or any kind of big dramatic situation, your your hands and feet, you're just running and doing. And I needed some time to be a brain and a heart. And so mm. I started writing to do that. Mm. And then it was really, I got into it because I was like, I could write my dad back. I started to think about all the things that he had been for, you know, that he, he, I rolled him backwards. I just moved the tape all the way to the beginning and, and I heard his voice and he kept me company. And then after he died, I had these, these babies and I kind of wanted them to know his, their grandfather. And I, I was mourning really deeply and trying to be a parent at the same time. So I would kind of go into this place and go, well, what happened there? And um, the more I wrote it, the more I felt like I had a story that I could share with other people. I would give friends who are going through similar things a little part of it, and they'd say, oh, it really helps me Mm -hmm. to hear this because I'm doing this too. And I had no idea that I was, you know, drinking wine in the broom closet. Well, (laughs) you know, and I was like, oh, well, I was there also in the broom closet with you. (laughs) Like, and I just think it's this sort of, we need to reach out and connect with each other when we're having these hard times, because it, it makes us understand that everyone's going through something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I just wanted to comment on the idea of rolling him back and and remembering who he was as he was turning into someone else or disappearing from the person that he right. had been. And yeah, I think that's such a strong impulse to try to to remember the person that was not just it is. witnessing the person that is absolutely and i think it's that's a difficult thing about caring for someone who has alzheimer's and being the person kind of left behind i think alzheimer's is like this kind of swiftly flowing stream and often the caregiver is just standing on the bank and all this stuff is going past and you you're just like hey come back come back mm-hmm. and so what we kind of discovered while we were caring for my dad and my grandmother his mom had alzheimer's at the same time we kind of realized you know what we're just going to jump off the bank into the river and mm-hmm. and go where they're going because it it led us in these kind of mysterious and wonderful places you know when my grandmother forgot that I was her granddaughter and she'd always kind of kept me a little bit at arm's length because you know kids don't need to know everything Mm. but once she forgot that I was like one of the girls and she told me all these awesome things about like this guy was hanging out on our lawn and you know she was like you know we were going across town to get our hair done I mean we were in the Alzheimer's unit of a care facility but 
we were having all these big adventures. And I didn't say, no, Grandma, we're here in this unit and you have to have lunch and pretty soon you're going to go back to your little room and go to bed. I was like, great, where are we going for lunch and who mm-hmm. are we meeting and what was that guy and how did he say these things? And it it gave me a place to connect right. that was where they were. You and entered her reality. Totally. And you got to have a more intimate relationship with Much her. more, yeah. Yeah, that I think was valuable and beautiful in a sad time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the title, Leaving Tinkertown? I know that your your father's show was called Tinkertown, but yeah. t- could you talk a little bit about that idea of leaving Tinkertown? Well, the museum is called Tinkertown, and it's still there. So you could go and leave if you want to. <laughs> is, is somebody managing it Yeah, still? my stepmother Carla is a, an amazing soul, and she has kept the museum running as a legacy, really, my father's legacy. And it's, it's remarkable that she's doing that, A, and B, that he's still alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many people kind of come through and go, well, this has changed my life just being here, or I'm... I'm just so inspired I have to go home and make something. And I think that's my dad would have really, like, that's what he was in life. And so that he can continue to do that after death is just rock star. It's just the bait, like, it's great. <laughs> We're so happy to be able to do that. Yeah. So the title, Leaving Tinkertown, when I was writing the book, I was always calling it Mighty Fond of You Too because my dad used to say that. I would say, I love you. And he would say, I'm mighty fond of you too. And it was kind of this joke we had. I knew he loved me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to call it that. And and my editor said, we got to get Tinkertown in the title. And and I was driving around thinking, ugh, got to get Tinkertown in the title. How do we get Tinkertown in the title? Like, Tinkertown has always been in the title of me because I always kind of felt like this sort of nerdy girl like in plaid skirts trying to be sort of more conservative and organized than my Carney family but my in when I would meet new people would would be to say you know my dad built Tinkertown and I grew up in Tinkertown Museum and I have this thing and so it made sense to me that I would need to leave that identity and Mm kind of go find my own so it's a little bit about that about saying like well, yeah, I did grow up in a roadside attraction, but I'm my own self, and I'm interesting in my own way. Mm. And then it was also a little bit about, you know, my dad leaving Tinkertown and and what that might mean, because it was so it was so critical to him to be around all that stuff. I mean, he kind of he built the museum following the mantra of a an old desert rat mentor of his who said just build a big pile of everything you love and sit in the middle of it and charge people a dollar and (laughs) and that's what he just really wanted to you know that was always his goal was like yeah I'm gonna do that just like Don Pablo I'm gonna make this thing and I'm gonna stay here until I die it's gonna be amazing and and at a certain point he didn't know that he'd made it it had lost everything do you know and Mm. he was like what is all this stuff and Mm. we were like you made it and and so at a certain point just left a moment oh my god it was a moment yeah yeah it was very it was um 
it was a very sad moment, but it was also really helpful to us because we had believed for such a long time that it was most important for him to stay at home and we'd kind of put aside our own um, the, our, the stress of trying to keep him safe. Mm. And when it suddenly became apparent that he didn't really know that home was home, it gave us permission to say, okay, I think it might be time. Mm. And that was a, an amazing shift to be able to kind of move him into an Alzheimer's facility that was dedicated to kind of keeping him comfortable and keeping him safe. And we, could, we saw him every day and we visited him constantly and people could see him, but he wasn't so confused and we weren't so freaked out. It was kind of transformative, but it was really like we needed for that break for him to come. Like, because I think if he had remembered even in a tiny shred of home, we would have kept him there forever. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the title about what it meant to you in terms of leaving that place behind and that identity in some ways behind. So in writing about your father's life and his creative urge, what did you discover about yourself as a writer? Well, I, th- I think I am, um, I am my father's daughter. I mean, I, I think I, but I'm also really different you know and I think I I had always kind of felt like well I don't know I can't draw as well as my dad or I you know I don't I don't know what I want in my room or what I like to wear because my house is like it's all predetermined like my where I grew up was so full of my dad's like passions and impulses and delights like he was just like oh my god look I got 50 ice tongs and aren't they amazing I'm gonna hang them all over here and I'm putting shingles on the outside of the house and I'm look at all these rugs I'm putting them down here and I got this chair and isn't it crazy I mean it was just kind of constantly like wow look at this it's amazing I love it and so I just went yeah that's amazing I love it too but when I started to kind of separate out I thought well what do I love Mm. and what do I what do I like and I I, um I think my writing style is kind of a smush of where I grew up like I think my the way I sort of pile things together and hoard things and you know my office is a little bit of a little like hamster nest of all kinds of objects and tiny rocks and weird things but there's also a sense of like my own rules I have my own rules and I I think the more that I work as an artist or a writer I I kind of go oh yeah it's up to me to make those rules and I can decide you know and I think that was huge Hmm. and I think writing the book was was like that it was like deciding I'm going to tell this story and when I first started I wanted to tell every story so Hmm. it was like 500 pages long (laughs) and I just kept writing and at a certain point, I realized, well, I don't need to tell every story because I have time and I can I can take a step back so I can really think about, well, what do I want to tell here? And I think that's different from the way my dad sometimes created, which was just to, like, I'm going to put all this stuff together and I'm going to do all these things. And I mean, I tend to do too many things at once, too, and I have too many ideas and I write them all down and I'm always doing a million things. But 
I'm trying to take a step back and go, well, what are the rules for this? Mm-hmm. I can make these rules. You can be more discerning. Yeah. Maybe not get a hundred ice tongs. Right. Not a hundred ice tongs. <laughs> I know. When I first moved back home, um, when I was... Uh, when my dad was ill, I moved into my childhood bedroom and it had been like the guest room for a long time and it was empty, but there were like 50 paintings on the walls. I mean, it was, there was no wall space. And so when I moved back, I said, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm going to paint this room. So I took everything down and I painted it white and then I put one painting up and I took everything else and I put it outside and like hung it in other places and said like, let's put this in the garage. And my dad walked in and he went, what? look at all this space. And mm. I went out to do something and I came back and he'd hung all the pictures up again. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, wait. So then I would take them down and put them in the closet and he would come in a little while later and go, well, this is a lot of space. And I was like, I think I like that. I yeah. like space. He wants to fill it all yeah. up. He really wanted to fill it. So <laughs> I'm finding my way towards space. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> what a metaphor, right? <laughs> it is. My house is very spare. And I think people come and go, you grew up at Deaker Town and look at like, there's nothing on this wall. And like, I know, isn't it great? I just want to look at it. <laughs> mm, yeah. How did writing about him affect your understanding of your childhood and him as a, a person other than your father as, as an individual? Mm, well, I think it made me think about what was great about uh, growing up and and also some of the things that, that weren't. I mean, I think about it often as a parent. And I, I wrote my book when my kids were pretty little. And so I was still kind of finding my way toward being a parent and kind of carving out space for myself and, you know, what that means. But I always think about my dad, who was very, very present with us, um, but when he would go in his shop or in his studio, he'd be like, N-, like you go in there and visit and be like, okay, you can hang out here and chat, but I'm out there. Like he's out there. He was always out, um, working on something. So he was very available, but also busy, do you mm-hmm. know, he was doing something and you kind of felt like it better be kind of important to come in and, and, you know, I could hang out with him and, and and but he he was appreciative of you also doing something Mm -hmm. like well if you're going to sit here you might as well sand these letters or you know why don't you do me a favor and wind all this string up or roll these things or clean these brushes you know I think we were always very active together and so I started thinking about that because when he was going through Alzheimer's, it was a kind of a challenge to keep him occupied. Mm. And he had always been very occupied. And so I kind of, I, we had to flip roles a little bit and I would go like, why don't we clean these brushes or Mm -hmm. like, let's build like these walls. He, for a long time, we built a lot of bottle walls together when he was uh, having, I mean, sort of toward the end of, of the time that I was in New Mexico and, and the disease was kind of progressed and he would just build them and then we would take them down a little at night and then he would build them again and then my stepmother and I would take them down a little. Mm. And it was this kind of nice rhythm because it gave us something to do in the day. Right. Yeah. Right. Have you adopted any of those ways in which he got you to do things with your own children? I know I'm always trying to get my children to do things. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. I mean, I think of it a lot like... Um, I'll just, you know, kind of say like, hey, we're doing this. I'm so enthusiastic. And my dad was always really enthusiastic. I mean, he just, 
he expected everyone to kind of join him in the parade, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think I do that with my own kids. I try to just go like, yeah, like, check this out. We're going to see this thing. And and um, I think it 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 was easier when they're little, like teenagers will just look at you and be like, I see your enthusiasm and I crush it. <laughs> but <laughs> that's their job. It is. It is. <laughs> but I think underneath, they know they it's in them that kind of interest and as much as they sort of feign like you know whatever apathy they are um i've i've already done it like that little seed is planted Hmm. and so i just keep trying to kind of nudge them along and and really it's more about doing it myself and setting an example for them so these i i paint these funny little still lives when i'm cooking dinner at night because there's always this pile up of weird kid mostly kid related objects on the island in my kitchen and it was driving me crazy and so for a little while one day i just was like i'm just gonna paint that like i my brother sent me some paints and i was kind of like i'm not an artist i don't need these paints but um i just painted these like weird little things and then it was very comforting. So I started to do it more often. And now I do it, you know, a couple times a week if I'm just there and I'm cooking and the kids are doing homework or whatever, I, I just paint whatever's on the island. And and they they know it now. They see me do it and they go, oh, she, oh is that another one of your island paintings? Like, are you going to do that again? And And I think they start to realize like, oh, that's a calming thing for her. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe you should paint one, they say. Maybe you should do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think maybe they'll, you know, when they're older, they'll go, oh, yeah, my mom used to do these things. I'm going to try that. Mm, Right. Yeah. That's nice. You're teaching them some self-soothing skills. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. Yes, one can always hope. (laughs) Right. So when you introduced you, yourself, you you talked about living in Los Angeles. You talked about growing up in the mountains outside of Albuquerque, and then you also went to college in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how these environments have affected your writing. I think in deep ways. I think the more time I spend in a city the more firmly I embrace my identity as a mountain kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's, there's always this part of me that grew up playing with rocks and sticks down by the creek, you know, (laughs) just we, we, and I kind of bring that with me. So when I, I think it's really informed my writing voice and, and who I am kind of in the world. And I think, living in Los Angeles for a long time. I used to think Los Angeles was a lot like Albuquerque or a lot like New Mexico. There's a lot of kind of eccentrics and there was this kind of sprawling city that, you know, is kind of surrounded by mountains and Mm -hmm. um, hills. And there's a kind of a wildness to it, which I recognized. And so there was a, that was a good bridge for me. Chicago was a total shock, Mm. but I think it gave me an an ability to be in the city. I'm really glad that I went to school there because I, I didn't really, I, I don't know. It it gave me like permission to be in the world as a kind of a grown up or a different. I don't know. I feel like I can kind of talk to anybody anywhere, and I Hmm. am okay. Right. It gave (laughs) you some adaptability. Yeah, very much so. And And, but what does it mean to be a mountain girl? Well, there was something about like I grew up right at the base of the Sandias, so I I understand what it is to be snowed in. I've cross country skied, um, you know, to get the mail. 
like I've ridden my bike all over the place and kind of I had there was a wildness and a kind of freedom that I had as a kid that my kids growing up in Los Angeles don't have like they will never have that kind of like where are the children they'll be back you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and I think we really had that and I think because it was the 70s and and there were so many artists that we knew and all these parents who kind of had these big wild crazy parties and the kids would just kind of run amok there was a pack mentality of mountain kids that has translated into grown-ups with kind of a a different perspective when I when I talk to my friends that I grew up with we're all sort of living in places where we don't feel entirely comfortable but we feel comfortable enough to to kind of go anywhere mm-hmm. you know it's this kind of we're, we're like a little outside a little inside and um and super flexible very adaptable mm-hmm. yeah and so you you said that you felt like that affected your writing in some way that kind of identity as a mountain girl how do you how do you bring that into your writing i think i i think it's about well i feel in a weird way it's curiosity because living in the mountains, you have this, there's a, there was a huge separation. It was about 40 minutes into Albuquerque when I was growing up, and we didn't go there very often. There was one grocery store, like, at the bottom of our hill and, you know, the post office. And, and that was kind of it. So anything that you wanted to know about or learn about came kind of, you had to, like, search it out in the outside world. Like, the bookmobile coming to the mm. mountains was a huge deal. And I've read a lot. And those books, like that little bookmobile was like, hey, the outside. I mean, I kind of think about the circus train coming to my dad's little town of Aberdeen, just bringing tidings of newness and richness and, you know, diversity and adventure. Mm, The outside. Everything, right, that is outside. And so I think I'm a curious writer. And when I don't know something, like I kind of write to find out. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's been good because I, I kind of feel like, well, I can ask questions and I can go talk to people. And because we grew up with such a weird, eclectic group of grown-ups, I kind of feel less afraid to ask questions of people that I don't, um, if, even if I don't know very much about what they do. I kind of just want to find out. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you certainly had an opportunity to do that with your father, who was uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. And the story of leaving Tinkertown is not only your story and his story, but it is a story about Alzheimer's. Can you talk about what story you wanted to tell about the disease? Ultimately, I wanted to write a love story. I wanted to write a love story about my family, and, and the amount of kind of love and sort of compassion it took to get us through that. And it's a little bit of a love story between me and my dad, and it's a little bit of a love story between me and my, my husband now, mm-hmm. and between my stepmother and I. Like, I, I, I think with writing about Alzheimer's was like all of this forgetting that is happening and is causing these deep, intense things is really an opportunity for us to kind of look outside ourselves. For me, writing was about compassion and putting myself kind of in the story of everyone else 
And, and going through that experience was so difficult and often, you know, we're angry at each other or frustrated by something. But when I wrote about it, I kind of got to see everyone's side. Mm. And so I was writing, even though it's my story and it's told in my voice, I have to see where everyone is coming from to write a scene. And, and that really gave me this kind of appreciation for all that we're giving up and and trying to manage and and handle and i think to write about alzheimer's or any disease in that way to see it from not only the person who's going through it but the people around and how it's affecting them and and how they're trying to balance their own lives with kind of caretaking or grief or things is is important and for Alzheimer's too, I think there's this perception that it's just, well, it's old people, you know, forgetting and that's sad. But it is this crazy disease that affects very young people sometimes. My father was 58 when he was diagnosed. And um, it's not just they slowly forget under a beautiful Afghan. It is bleak and depressing and the body forgets how to breathe and eat and live and um, I felt like it's critical that we kind of tell these stories so we can see the disease for what it is and see the reaction of people around for really what it is Mm, yeah I felt like you you told the story so well of your sort of growing awareness of what your stepmother had been living with and how she had been compensating for everything that has was happening with your father before you really even right. realized what was happening. And you're feeling affronted by the way in which she's behaving towards you, so brusque and abrupt and angry but then you're also showing what's going on with her and, and how she feels like she's the one who's holding everything right. together. Right. And that was the challenge of writing this because I think we all do some stuff that isn't like on the face of it particularly beautiful or, you know, attractive and wonderful. But to see her be so brusque and say, well, you know, I have no time to be compassionate. Um, on the face of it is like, oh God, what? But like knowing what she's holding and how long she's been doing it. I mean, my dad had been cutting cords off his power tools because he didn't think they worked. He'd been leaving the car places and losing money and dropping things and breaking stuff and just being ultimately strange so that she felt like she was in, you know, a parallel nightmare dream world. Um, I think understanding that and trying to write those two things together was a huge challenge and what I hoped so much at the end of the book people understood that like we were all doing what we could mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah right so as you've talked about Alzheimer's is difficult on everyone who comes into contact with it and particularly it's difficult on loved ones of the person afflicted What are the insights that you've had as a result of the experience with this disease? Well, I think first, really try to take care of yourself because it's so easy as a caretaker to just give up everything and and just wear down. And I think more and more caretakers are winding up 
you know, in hospitals and and really seriously ill or really injured or really depressed. And we have to help them. I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we have to help the caregivers. There needs to be more support and and just the the ability to take a break sometimes. And so I mean, we kind of had this parade of friends and and people who just would come by and sit with my dad for a while so we could go lay down or or go to a movie or just sit in our rooms quietly for a minute because it's valuable and it's time you have to take um even if it's really hard i feel like if anyone who is going through alzheimer's called me right now and said can you just come over for a minute i would drop everything Mm. because i know how hard it is it's just hard the other thing is that I feel like if you can go with them and not try to tie them to your life and to the present and, you know, let's let's flow, let's be flexible and and just see where it goes. I've heard it sort of described as improv. Like if you can, can be a really good improv sort of actor and just join them wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And I think in improv, they always say, you know, yes, and, yes, and, and you just keep going that way. Yeah, and and then what? Because I found with our experience with my dad and my grandmother, every time we said no, it was a fight. Mm-hmm. And unless it's really physically, you know, going to harm them or there's a life-threatening situation, I felt like it was easier to go, yeah, and and then what? And where else are we? And who am I now? It doesn't it doesn't matter after a certain point that I'm Tanya. I'm going to be Tanya after they're gone. Mm. But I'd rather be whoever they want me to be and connect with them on some level. So, I don't know. We I one day I let my dad eat nine ice cream sandwiches cuz they were just delicious. And he kept going, "Well, look at there. There's an ice cream sandwich." And I was like, there is. <laughs> he would just eat another one. And I thought, you know what? It's not going to kill him. Yeah. We know it's going to kill him. But this ice cream is awesome right now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that takes... Um, that takes bravery. It takes just being able to go along in a direction that you don't know where it's going to go. It is. You have to trust. Right. We get so wrapped up in our identity. You know, I think Alzheimer's is interesting because it shakes you out of that. You you think, well, I've oh, my like this is my dad, that's his identity. I'm his daughter, that's my identity. But like what if it weren't? Then who are we? And and so kind of these ideas of, well, do I have to cling so tightly to this? Because if I let it go a little bit, I, my brain might might crack open, my heart might crack open, my sort of, I, I'm expanding in ways by letting go of who I think I am or who I need to be. Mm, yeah, yeah. What did your experience with your father teach you about living well, and what impact did it have on how you're living? I think it has helped me to just say yes. I try to, if there's an opportunity to do something or see something or be with somebody, I try to say yes. Because I don't know how much time I'll have. 
and I, I mean, I, I do all, you know, good things and exercise and eat blueberries for antioxidants and try to be good to my brain and all those things. But I think mostly it, it's been to kind of follow in my dad's sort of enthusiastic embrace of the world and say, well, that looks like an amazing exhibit. I'm going there. Or if someone says, hey, do you want to see this thing or do this? Yeah, I do. Because there just isn't enough time no matter how long you're here. And so I, I try to encourage my kids to do that too. Just like, let's take this opportunity to, to be in the world as much as we can and try to be present. And it's very hard that, you know, we're rushing around trying to get homework done and jobs and all this stuff is crazy, but just trying to land and, and really appreciate these little things that happen every day that are really beautiful or really meaningful. I think that's been something that I try to do, especially since my dad passed away. But I think that's really something that he taught me to do anyway. But all of my parents, because um, I'm lucky to have three good ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and all of those are about connecting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do think it is because that's really what we have. That is, I mean, you can have. 25 pairs of shoes or whatever but it's really those connections that you make and those interesting conversations that you're gonna really remember mm-hmm. do you know I, I have I always think well I, I don't I don't know anything about wine but if I drank a good bottle of wine with a good friend over a long conversation I will remember that and I'll ask for it again mm. but it's connected to connection do you know yeah yeah absolutely. so you have a new book that you are writing or have yeah, written about I, traveling with your stepmother? I do. I'm, I'm, um, I'm kind of in the, in the compost mode in the first big turn on this new project. And I, I think it's about sort of mourning my dad. It's a, a little bit about um, coming straight to parenting from caretaking. And that kind of anxiety of, well, the last person I was looking after passed away, so I better get it together. Um, mm. And I think I was I was somewhat stressed out as a parent coming in with two babies, and it really didn't give me a lot of chance to mourn my dad. But in the last 15 years, I've taken these big trips with my stepmother, and, and it's really, it's about that connection. It's about going to places, saying yes for, you know, just the sheer wonderfulness of saying yes and and then having these experiences that kind of loop you back to yourself. And I think that's what travel is, is sort of taking you and your life and everything and kind of seeing everywhere you've ever been, everywhere you ever go, you know? So I'm kind of writing about that and, and learning to kind of take care of myself and figure out who I am as a woman, not just a, a daughter or a caretaker or a mother. Mm, right. Yeah. Your separate identity. Yes. So in closing, I'd love to have you tell us about what you've read or been reading lately that's had an impact on you and your writing. Well, I've been returning to the work of Brian Doyle, who is a wonderful um, uh, writer who just passed away this year. And I never even knew him. And I cried like a, re- like a relative had died. <laughs> so, mm. um, so he's an amazing writer. And I just... I, I, he can write like a five-page sentence, and it's just mind-blowing. So I've been returning to that to kind of remind me that um, there's this kind of compassion to his writing and interest and curiosity, and 
and wonder and also just like who cares about the rules just keep writing the sentence until you decide it's over like just keep going um so i really appreciate that i read pam houston's contents may have shifted which uh is kind of helping me form a little bit my new project or or kind of let go of the idea that it has to be well first this happened and then this happened because it's it's a travel narrative and it's um it's all broken up into all these little parts and eventually you realize it's there's a whole lot of storylines going at once and but it takes a little minute to think about it and and i i love the sort of broken structure of it and and yet it's it's all just rock solid so that has been very inspiring and then i've been reading megan stilstra who's a writer um in chicago and I really love her writing too. She's kind of a new find for me. And I just appreciate that she's writing about her life, which is dramatic, but not tragic. And I think sometimes when you're writing memoir, I I have had dramatic events, but not what I think of as outright violent tragedy. And sometimes like there's a weird disconnect or, or a, a kind of, I feel like, oh gosh, it wasn't bad enough. In fact, when I was trying to sell my <laughs> memoir, people were like, so it's too bad that your dad didn't like violently die or something. You know, you know, they were bummed out that I hadn't killed him with a frying pan or something. And I think, well, you don't have to do that. Like I didn't have to like, you know, have this terrible violent act occur in my life to be telling a story mm. because we all have interesting narratives that, that maybe are not, you know, the, the intensity of, I don't know, these intense violent things or, or very tragic things, but just day-to-day life is sometimes quite dramatic and, and important to think about. So um, I, she's been inspiring in that way. And um, I just saw that film Lady Bird, and that was like that too, a kind of a coming of age where like, yay, like there's no overdoses. There's no, like, Mm. it's just like, yeah, it's hard enough to be a teenager. Mm. Let's just see, let's see what that looks like. Let's see what the mother-daughter relationship is and the father-daughter relationship, because those things are valuable. Just our stories, everyone has a story. Yeah. Yeah, so true. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Oh, and thank you. Thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I loved your questions. Thank thanks. you so much. That's it for today's episode. Thank you, Tanya, for sharing your insights about the role of empathy and compassion in writing, as well as the value of examining the drama of daily life. You can find links to Tanya's work at tanyawardgoodman.com. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Real with Diane McDaniel wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know why you listened and what you like about the Real podcast. Please rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. Follow Real on Facebook at Real with Diane McDaniel and on Twitter at Real the Podcast. Reach us at realthepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time. I'm Diane McDaniel. Thanks for listening.